Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope. Would you sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life? Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Carla Montero. She's uh, is the founder, C creator, CEO, all the terms you want to use of the Cape Verdean Social Workers Association. I'm going to ask her, of course, about the field of social work, uh, work that she's doing, and we're going to talk about the organization and the gaps they're filling in the community. So for those who'll be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify, will you please introduce yourself, Carla? Hi, my name is Carla Montero. I am the founder and president of the Social Workers, Verdian Social Workers Association, and I work at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Awesome, awesome. Now, people, uh, Cape Verde, I don't know if y'all are aware, it's a country right off the coast, West coast uh, of Africa. Of Africa. Um, I was introduced to the country and the vibe via... Uh, I think I'm gonna mess up her name anyway. Uh, Cesaria Evora. Cesaria, uh, yeah. Look, when I got to Boston and I heard this joint, so I was like, what is that? That's my jam. <laughs> Check you out. <laughs> oh, come on now. I love my music now, but it was the, that yeah. was the joint. That whole mm-hmm. CD, y'all get it? It's popping whole yeah. CD. Uh, but when I saw that, and again, you know. Coming from Mississippi, I'm going there, I'm walking around, and look, just like people, if you don't understand who, how diverse black people are, I'm telling you, you go there, you see black folk, every shade, every language you hear popping, mm-hmm. and that was sort of, you know, my introduction uh, to the people and, and, and the culture. Uh, so, you, you, I just want to ask you, because I'm always curious, right, so how did people get to where they are. What did you think you'll be doing when you were growing up and what drew you to social work? So it, it's um, funny because I have had so many different careers and um, you know, have gone to school for so many different things. So I, when I was growing up, I, my goal was to become an attorney because I, I think I used to see women with their briefcases and their high heels and their like suit skirts and I just, I just loved the look and, um, you know, this is when I was like really, really young. Um, and so I really looked up to, to women when I saw them looking so professional. Um, and then as I got older, I grew up in a neighborhood where a lot of it was, you know, afflicted with crime, drugs, and a lot of people I grew up with were going through the prison system. And so I had, you know, considered becoming a police officer because I, I had, thought that, you know, maybe if I became a police officer and kind of got into um, community policing, that maybe I would be able to prevent them from going into jail. Um, because like we, we went to high schools that had, um, we had metal detectors. It was like, so all of our interaction with police was always negative. You know, people were getting pulled over, profiled. Um, so that kind of thing was happening in our neighborhood when we were growing up. But then we also had amazing community officers who, um, you know, who had, you know, coached basketball teams and, um, you know, participated in the neighborhood for cookouts or block parties. And so, um, so we did have some positive interactions, but a lot of 
the male black males didn't have the best interaction with with officers um and so that's what i had thought about becoming when when i got older and then why just before i got into the police academy i had been experiencing um some nausea and i had been really sick um for quite a few months prior to that, my, I was renovating my house. I, I was going through a lot. So I had just purchased my house. I was a single mom. Um, the house is really old that I bought. And then, you know, you have everybody around you who are saying things like, oh, this house is so old. You should have never bought it, you know. But I saw the potential and it's a triple decker. It was three bedrooms. Yeah, I had horse hair plaster all over the walls and wallpaper. Um, but I could see the potential in it. And it had a, a very large piece of land next door. And although I was really young, I was always really ambitious and always thought about, you know, making extra money. And um, especially, you know, when you grow up, you know, I, I can't really say that we were poor because I, I never felt like we were poor because we always had food and my mom always took care of us. But I know that we, my mom wasn't earning a high, a high extremely high income. And so... For me, I always knew that, you know, I wanted to create, you know, um, a, a way of making more money. And so I purchased the house. And so anyways, the house was under renovation. And so I was just going through a lot at that time. And I was really ill. Um, like I said, I was I was nauseous, vomiting, trembling, um, just feeling really down and just like unable to concentrate, even driving. It was, it, you know, I wouldn't notice that the lights were changing, you know, things like that. And so I um, eventually did get into the police academy that year, but I had already been suffering through all of this and didn't have, you know, had been going back and forth to the hospital, but no, um, there were no diagnosis. And so by the time I got to the academy, I had full-blown anxiety that had manifested physically. And so that's why I was nauseous and throwing up and things like that. And so I had to resign from the police academy because I um, eventually was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. Um, and so that's when I became more interested in social work because in my culture, you know, being Cape Verdean and being black in general, we don't talk about mental health. And so we, so what I was feeling, um, I felt like I was dying. And that's what most people say who have anxiety and panic attacks. You know, you feel like you're dying. You feel like you're, um, you know, you're having a heart attack. There's all of these feelings and emotions that you're going through at that time. And then for me, it was getting worse because I just kept thinking about, you know, I may lose my job. I may lose my house, you know, so you start to panic and, and start to think about all of these things that you've worked so hard for that you can possibly lose because now you're sick. And so, um, so again, I had to resign from the academy and then decided to go back to school and, and get into social work so that I can understand more about mental health and to um, educate my community about, um, about mental health as well. Mm. So I want to throw this out there to you since you bring up mental health. Um, you know, you have your traditional counseling, people who get degrees in psychology and, you know, maybe may they become a licensed clinical social worker via a master's degree or a doctoral, doctoral degree, or they go into med school and become a psychiatrist, which allows them to, you know, write scripts. But then you have your social work, which again, people, they can provide uh, mental health counseling, especially those who have that, you know, licensed clinical social worker. Uh, what is the difference that you see or have learned about the different ways social workers versus counselors approach mental health? 
I think we um, pretty much all approach mental health similarly. We use the same practices. Um, so we, you know, we use cognitive behavioral therapy um, for substance use patients. We're using motivational interviewing. So I think it um, just, you know, depends on what your um, what your education is. So typically, psychiatry is obviously um, therapy, you know, combined with medication prescribing, where social workers, we don't prescribe. And so we're just mostly focused more on the behaviors and, um, you know, help using things from a strength perspective mm -hmm. to um, help patients get to where they want to be. So we're, you know, we're not enabling people. And I don't think that any of the professions are. So none of us are enabling anybody. We're just simply trying to help them identify what their goals are and kind of put, help them put it into perspective so that they are you know, aligning with, you know, what the short-term goals are and what the long-term goals are. Because we, you know, you don't want to have somebody who has these these goals and then they, they may be long-term and then they're not, it's not feasible for them to reach them. And so that's going to be very discouraging for that person. So it's it's better to help them organize things and, and, and really understand, you know, these are the things that are possible for me to achieve. And then these things may take me a little longer and then help them with a plan so that they can get to that goal. Um, so that's typically what we do a lot of um, in providing, you know, psychoeducation. So there's a lot of that as well. All right. So as you mentioned earlier, you are the founder and president of the Cape Verdean Social Workers Association. What is the organization's mission and what work do you do? So um, the organization um, was actually born out of my experience with mental health. And so um, when I had experienced um, the anxiety that I was experiencing at that time, um, I had talked a lot about, you know, my experience and my symptoms to family members, friends, and a lot of people could relate to how I was feeling. And so some people did end up, you know, going to the doctors and getting um, evaluated and realizing that they do have generalized anxiety disorder as well, or other things that had been going on, uh, but they would have never been diagnosed if I hadn't shared my experience because they were, they just didn't know what was happening and they just thought that they were sick. And so um, the mission of our organization is to provide psychoeducation to um, community members and educate the K-Running community about mental health and substance use disorder, um, and also connecting them to k clinicians. So I'm working with somebody to create a website that k all around the world can register uh, k social workers, therapists, um, you know, so that we can all register so that if somebody is looking for a therapist, they, it's easier to find. Um, so I get a lot of messages through the through DM and through Facebook Messenger um, asking, you know, for social workers who are k who can evaluate a, a student um, or explain to the family because in our culture, we have our own cultural beliefs, right? And so, you know, sometimes we think that prayer is going to fix everything or we have these um these balls they're they're like black it's like it's like a black pearl with white spots on it and, and gold and, and so that's called kanthadoju and we we use it as something that's like a protect a, a protector so you may see brand you know new babies may have it on a string in their diaper um, around their waist so that they can be protected so the person so no one's supposed to see it it's just supposed to be a silent protector from evil and from you know bad spirits and people who are talking about you and all of that and like even when people are vulnerable and they're sick um that's something that's also used and so we kind of have to educate our you know our community about you know mental health health <clears throat> about mental health and the main thing that i i present on is 
symptoms because if we don't know what the symptoms are, then we're not going to understand really what's happening to us. And so, but also validating that prayer is helpful to and validating the beliefs of the protective factors of, you know, having a contadoju or a rosary bead, you know, these are the things that we use. And so I think it's important to validate all of the cultural beliefs, but in addition saying, you know, hey, you know, you might need medication or, you know, you may need therapies. I think we're just trying to normalize therapy and, and normalize medications because we do get to a point where we just can't handle things anymore. I mean, there's tons of people who have lost their children to gun violence or just lost their children, period, you know, or, or parents. So there's just so much happening in our community. And it's, it's really important to help people identify where to get resources um, so that they can get better. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, like education, the field of social work is a helping helping profession. And most of us do not come from business backgrounds. How long did it take you to learn the sort of the business side of starting a nonprofit? And how long did it take you to actually get up and running to actually working in the community? So I have actually always been um, in the community. And so I, so I, like I said, I bought my house in 2010. So I've been somewhat business savvy. Um, but, you know, I've been around a lot of people who I grew up with who had business backgrounds. Um, my fiance is, is also has a, a business background. So it was a little easier to start up the, the program, you know, start up the organization. Um, I just went online, set everything up. I'm still working on a, a few more um, documentation that I need to, 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 needs to finish. But um, it's just, it's been... I think I've also, I've also been in the community since I was a kid. So since I was a kid, I was translating for people, going to doctor's appointments, going to the welfare office. Um, so I've been, you know, doing things in the community for a long So for me, it's easy to kind of jump right into the community and help. And, you know, I, I grew up in Dorchester. And so I know tons of people in the community who are already doing some of the work. Um, my organization is primarily focusing on um, the Cape Verdean community, but I will still present places where, um, you know, there, there may be two Cape Verdeans in the audience, but I've still reached, I've reached them, you know what I mean? So I've spoken at schools um, and at um, conferences and, and things like that. And so I think it's just important to just try to reach people. Um, businesses are hard to start up. I mean, I think in the beginning, it was kind of nerve wracking because I, so social workers typically have like three jobs, you know, so they work full time, they're working per diem, um, you know, so, so it's hard to get everybody together at times because people are working per diem, people work every other Saturday or, you know, whatever it is. And, and some people work evenings. Um, so I think that was like my biggest worry when I first started it is how was I going to get everybody together? Um, but everybody has been super helpful. Everybody, you know, works for their own organizations, but then we team up and do things together. Um, and then I also have great relationships with other community members who have been, um, you know, very helpful and, you know, distributing food. And so during the pandemic, they've been distributing food um, and other essential items to community members. And so I've been assisting them um, with the deliveries also, um, I've been able to allocate, um, you know, masks and sanitizers from different organizations who, you know, know me from the community and trust me enough to provide these essential items so that I could deliver to community members as well. So it's easier for me to identify people because I am in the community. And so I know everybody who's 
around. And then, you know, people typically will refer people to me for um, different resources and essential items. That's all right. That's all right. So tell, tell us, uh, because I don't know how many of my listeners, you know, actually know about your community. Uh, tell us about the Cape Ver- what it means, right, to be a Cape Verdean. What is the community like in Boston? So we, so, so I'll say what it was like before and what it's like now. <laughs> so, um, so we, um, my, our families migrated to America from the islands of Cape Verde. Uh, my family in particular is from Fogu, Cabo Verde. Um, the, the Cape Verdean Islands is composed of, of nine islands and Praia is our capital. Um, and so my parents came because I have an uncle who was in the army. And so when he was in the army, he was able to petition for my mom and grandmother and, and aunts and uncles to come to America. And so I was actually the first American born um, grandchild. And so, um, so typically when Cape Verdeans move to a, a section, so in Cape Verde, they are all together, you know, next door, um, so they, it's a really tight knit community. And so when they came to America, they would purchase, so like, for example, my family purchased, um, houses on the same street, right? So it's, it's two, two or three houses on one street is owned by my family and they're all triple deckers. So the ones who don't own rent from each other. So triple, triple deckers just means that it's, there's three floors in the building. I know that different places. I remember being shocked when I went to Philly and they were row houses and I was like, what is this? So I like to, that's why I like to explain um, the triple decker. Um, and so those who don't own will rent from each other. Um, and then when you go up the street, you know, there's all of these surrounding streets, but each place has, you know, two to three houses that are owned by the same families. And so I have about 22 cousins. We all grew up together very closely, like brothers and sisters, listening to Boyz to Men and, you know, going to school together and all of that. And so, and so Kay Vernon, you know, we're very supportive of each other, like, like most cultures and, and families. And so, you know, we all eat together, we cook together, we have these extremely huge pots. It's very community um, oriented. But I think now because there has been so much um, like violence in our communities and so people are trying to get out, people are moving out, people are moving further away. Um, I know that I have, um, you know, people moving to Connecticut or to Avon or Randolph, you know, different surrounding towns because things have just gotten a little crazy and, um, you know, in the community. And so it's not it's not as communal as it used to be, I think, um, because a lot of sometimes the kids are growing up in different neighborhoods and then they're having problems with each other, which is really sad because our, our families grew up together in Cape Verde. So someone's child may have murdered their best friend's child, you know, um, and they, but they don't know that they're just part of this gang or whatever it is. Um, and then they, and then this violence is occurring. And so that's creating some divide in the community, um, which is really sad. It's sad to see when you go and you, you know, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. Um, but for the most part, a lot of people are very, you know, still connected, very helpful with each other. Like we all support each other's businesses. We refer people to each other. We help each other out. We collaborate on a lot of things. Um, just trying to, because we're all, we all have one mission and that mission is to give back to our community. So we team up a lot to do different things. So walk us through some of the workshops and services you offer. So typically when we do the um, workshops, I present on anxiety, trauma, and depression, because that, that seems to be the, the most prevalent things in our community. Um, and so just really describing what 
those symptoms may look like um, and just allowing people to understand that if these symptoms are impeding on your daily activity, then it is a problem, you know, because there may be mornings where, you know, you wake up and you just feel down um, and that happens, right? We have days that we're just not feeling like, you know, we're just not feeling it. And so um, it's just really trying to teach people that, you know, if this is going on for days, you have no desire to get out of your bed, you're not eating. So just like all of the symptoms that occur when you're experiencing anxiety, trauma, um, or depression, um, you know, even with trauma, and you know, I try to, I use the analogy for kids when I, when I train them, uh, when I do trainings about how, you know how sometimes when people are in a, you know, in a fight or something and then people mm -hmm. say, oh, my friend, I can't believe my friend left me, you know? And so I say, well, it's not that your friend left you purposely. It's just you go into fight or flight mode. And this is what happens when you're experiencing trauma. And so mm. for you, you may feel like you need to fight back. But for that person, it may feel like they need to run, you know, but it's just the adrenaline and the cortisol that's running through your body that just kind of tells you what to do, you know? And so... So, and then, you know, even with anxiety and depression, just kind of helping people identify what the difference is because anxiety and depression have similar symptoms. Um, and so, you know, obviously like with anxiety, there's a little bit more in terms of like trembling and just like that really anxious feeling. Um, and so just kind of helping people to understand when it's important to get therapy. I, I always say it's important to just have a therapist anyway, um, just to help you navigate through life. Um, Cause we all have things that, you know, bumps in the road and, um, and it's important to have somebody to try to help you process those things and, and guide you through that. And so the workshops are just usually just, you know, to educate people about what those symptoms are, what they look like, how to get help, um, how to do some maintenance in between therapy sessions, you know, like meditation, reading self-help books. Um, so there's just tons of different, you know, walking, exercising. Um, what are some things that are helpful to help you release that um, endorphin so that you can feel a little bit better or, or create more? So how do you educate uh, the people you work with about the counseling process and the, and, the, and the need for it? Because earlier you mentioned about certain cultural practices. And then, you know, we also talked about this before recording, you know, that when it comes to communities of color, you know, black people, we don't necessarily say, hey, you know, uh, I can't meet with you at three o'clock. I got to go see my therapist. Uh, that yeah. isn't sort of a part of what we do as a community, as a whole. How do you do the work of educating people on the idea and the, and, and the importance and the practice of actually going to a trained professional to seek that mental health? I, so what I do a lot of is I, I share my own story and how I was able to heal and the only the reason why I was able to heal was getting a therapist. And I'm very open about to take medication to get better. So I was open about sharing, you know, how I, I, what I did to heal. And so I think that um, that actually helps people because I think the more people hear that other people are doing it, it decreases the stigma around mental health and getting therapy and, and taking medications. Um, and I always say, you know, we don't, tell people who have diabetes not to take their medication and we don't tell people who um, have high blood pressure not to take their medication but then we're also not gonna punish people who you know who are you know who are taking their medication right and so I, I try to put it in that perspective that 
you know, if you have a headache, you're going to take Tylenol or, or whatever it is. You're going to do whatever you can to get rid of that. So it's the same, you know, we have to look at it in the same way. Um, and again, I think that because people aren't aware that they have anxiety or they have depression, right? Because they're not talking about these things. A lot of times we're not even talking about our feelings. And so they may not even know that they have um, some sort of mental health issue going on, you know? And so I think that helping them, you know, them hearing symptoms and helping them identify how they're feeling and then, you know, connecting them to resources so that they can get help, I think it's a little bit easier. I've also been getting more calls now um, or, or text messages asking me to help people, people of color asking me to help connect them to therapists. Um, and I've been really, you know, proud of them for, um, for reaching out to get help and not being embarrassed about it because there's nothing to be ashamed of, right? There's nothing wrong with us. Um, it's just, you know, it's just like we just have a cold and we have to take medication to get better, you know? And so, um, so I think it's just important for us as the black community to decrease the stigma around mental health. And I think right now in Boston in general, we have a lot of people who are in the mental health, um, field and who are, who have their own platforms and people who are following them and and I think we're all encouraging inspiring people in, in our own way um, I get a lot of calls from people who say oh Carla after hearing your story I realize that I have anxiety too or or I do realize I'm feeling symptoms of whatever it is and then they are getting help you know and so and there's some there's someone who I remember had you know anxiety and and they didn't know right and so I was sharing my story with them and they instantly bursted into tears and said, I've been feeling like that the past two years, you know? And now this young lady is, you know, got treatment and now is able to identify what her triggers are and all of those things. And she's like back in college and, you know, she had dropped out because she just was going through so much. And so now back in college, um, I think this is like her second or third semester that she's completed. And she's, she says she feels like she's on top of the world. And she said, I had no idea what was happening to me until you told me what was happening to you. And that's why I do like having these candid conversations with people. I do like to present on it because I think that, you know, we as a community, um, you know, as black people and being the face of mental health will help other people who are coming up behind us. It's important to talk to it, to our kids about it. You know, I have a son who um, is 18 now, but he picked me up from, um, from work one day and he's with his friends and it was my Tuesday night therapy sessions. And, and so he, he just said to me, mom, are you going to therapy today? I said, yes. And he said, okay, I'll see you later. You know, and that was it. His friends were all there. There was no, nothing to be ashamed of. It's something that I have normalized in my house, you know? And so I think that's important too. Um, and I focus a lot on feelings and, and really understanding how people feel and also, you know, acknowledging things where I, I say to, you know, family members or friends, you know, always, consider what you're saying to people because you don't know how that's affecting someone else or you may be triggering somebody else if you're you know making certain jokes that may be funny to you but may not be funny to that person so just being mindful of of everything that we're doing mm. so you know i guess all of us have heard the saying you can't be what you can't see yep what are you or your organization doing to recruit more Cape Verdeans to get into the field of social work? So um, currently we are um, in the process of maybe discussing um, with um, different schools. Cause so one of the things that I also have found is that there are 
a lot of Cape Verdeans who have gone through the social work program but never got their license um, or has gotten the first license but never got the LICSW, which allows them to practice clinically um, in, independently. And so just really trying to understand why. So is it, you know, is it that, like, so for me, right, I was born in America, but Cape Verdean Creole was my first language. And so, you know, I struggle sometimes with definitions, right? And so, like, I know how to use words in certain in sentences, but sometimes I struggle with def with definitions at times. And so, you know, I think about the people who were born in Cape Verde and came to America and, and you know, you know, learned English in high school. And so just like what, what are the obstacles that are um, in the way that are not allowing people to complete the highest license to allow them to practice individually? Because right now, a lot of Cape Verdeans are tied to their job, right? So like I work at a substance use clinic, so I'm tied to that. So if the person doesn't have a substance use disorder, then I wouldn't be able to, to treat them, right? And so, um, and then there are people who work at DCF or school-based social workers. And so if we're all, we're all working for an organization, but we're not able to bill um, until you have that license, it's bill independently, but, you know, but why aren't we getting there? And so that's something that I am working on. And then we also want to develop a mentorship program to introduce people more, up, um, you know, to introduce people to the social work field and really help them understand what it is because social workers can do an array of things. You know, we can work at the state house. We can, um, you know, work in schools, hospitals. There's just tons of different roles. And I think that our community has been conditioned to think that social workers just work for DCF and we take kids out of homes. And I think that that's why it doesn't sound so appealing, you know, but we're actually a pretty cool profession, you know, and so, um, but just trying to help people understand that it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a degree that can literally take you anywhere, you know. Um, I got my, you know, my degree, my first degree, which is in Associates in Human Services in 2015, and my career has skyrocketed from, from there, you know, um, and it happens so fast, because once you have the education that you need, um, it really helps you to navigate yourself and your life and, and really helps you to navigate where you want to be. And with, like I said, with social work, you can just do so many things. You know, I work full time. I have the organization. I'm doing all of these other things in the community on the side that um, that I wouldn't have the opportunity to do if I didn't have the degree um, that I currently have. People, Carla just dropped a bomb on y'all. Listen, listen, when you, that social work degree for real, she said it is one of the most diverse degrees you can have, particularly when you hit that master's level or doctoral level and, and then you get that licensed clinical social worker behind your name. Not only can you work with someone else and as she mentioned, you can start your own agency because that licensure allows you to actually build and create and, and, and actually see yeah. patients on that level. And you know, I'm all about ownership and building. Uh, so I love that. Mm -hmm. So for those educators or anyone who, you know, who's listening to this show, you're thinking, what may I do on the master's level? Uh, a social work degree is a nice option for you to kind of be able to diversify your career, your career where you're going and where you may want to go. Um, with the work that you're doing, what do you hope for in the community you serve? I mean, I hope to, you know, you know, educate more people in our community about mental health and about um, trauma in general, right? We have, uh, we live in a, the black community, right? Like we're experiencing racism, we're experiencing 
um, you know, violence in our community, um, drugs, you know, I mean, we had, you know, as the black community, like we've had, you know, the crack cocaine epidemic where, mm. you know, people's, um, you know, families were, were, were using drugs and then, you know, essentially, you know, they did the best they can to take care of those kids, but essentially those kids are neglected because, you know, you can't take care of children if you're you're using and so um you know there's food insecurities you know we go through a, 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 so many things um in our community that affect us right kids can't sleep at night because their stomach hurts because they they live in poverty and, and didn't eat dinner um and so my goal is to really um you know educate them about you know their their feelings and then sorry the other thing is you know we grow up in these households that say you know what happens in this house stays in this house and you don't talk about it outside of this house. Right. And so, and, but then you may be in a strict house that if you say something, it's, it's observed as disrespect. Right. And so, um, so I'm, I mentor for the big sister association and I had this conversation with the, the girl that I mentor um, just explaining to her the generational difference, right? So her grandmother is raising her, which she probably, she comes from the generation of children should be seen and not heard, right? And then the younger kids are like, I'm going to say whatever I want to say, you know? And so uh, just like educating them about that and then just teaching people that, you know, it's okay to talk about your feelings. It's okay. You know, like people should not be embarrassed about, you know, the things that they're going through because chances are there are so many of us that have the same experiences. Um, I hope to make people more aware of themselves and their triggers. And cause a lot of times family members could be our triggers. Right. And so i um, just really identifying those things and learning to separate yourself from those people so that you're not consistently triggered and always in a heightened mood. Um, and so um, I just hope to really help to destigmatize de um, getting treatment and having a mental health condition because that doesn't separate us from anybody else, right? We can do the same things that anybody else can do. And so we, I don't want people to allow their mental health condition to cripple them, you know? Mm. So before we go, what is your advice uh, to those educators who may listen to this podcast and they look at the work that you're doing and they're inspired and they want to start their own nonprofit, but they don't know where to start. Um, I think you should go on your state's website and, um, you know, and look at, you know, do a search first to make sure that that organization is not already created. A lot of times people don't do this and then they're duplicating the work um, and making it, you know, and, and I mean, yeah, the mental health field is all, there's always um, help needed in, 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 in any, sorry, I'm going to start that over. <laughs> um, and I think in, I think just, you know, going onto the state website to see if there's an organization similar to that, or if there's something that's already been created is the first place to start. Um, and then also just identifying what your goals are with that organization and if it's doable, right? I see people saying things like, or they're going to eliminate certain things, but how are you going to eliminate those things, you know? So it may be better to say you're going to decrease, you know, whatever it is. And so just really understanding what your goals are and if you're going to really be able to obtain that and make those changes. Um, and also, is it something that you can do alone? Do you need a team? Do you need a board? Um, these are all things that you have to really think about and also think about the people that, you know, you're going to have on your board um the image that you want to portray like sometimes people have people on their or on their um or in their organization that may not be a great person to represent your organization because they may be doing something 
completely inappropriate, you know? So we have to think about a lot of these things. You also have to think about marketing. When you're marketing, um, you need to make sure that all of your social media platforms match each other, whether it's the photo, the, the name of your platforms, everything should be uniform so that it's easy for people to find you um, on different social media platforms. It's a lot of work, so keep that in mind. Um, you know, I work full time and I'm, I'm still trying to do this on the side. And so it, it is exhausting because you're trying to prepare um, you know, you're trying to prepare for events. Um, you know, we're not, you don't get paid for these things. You know, a lot, a lot of the things that I'm doing, I do pro bono. Um, I'm, I'm volunteering to do everything um, because I think it's very important for me to educate my community about mental health. And so um, obviously for some of these um, companies, you will be able to charge. And so that's great. But for some of us who aren't charging for certain things in our community, um, you know, it, it, it can be taxing because you're taking time away your fit from your family um, and yourself um, to do this work. And so just be mindful of what your capacity is. Because um, even during the pandemic, I was like, oh, maybe I'll start a podcast. But I'm like, do I really have time to start a podcast? You know what I mean? And so I didn't. So I didn't start one. <laughs> um, so it's, it's just really important to really, um, you know, pay attention to, to yourself and your capacity and what your goals are and if you're really able to obtain um, achieve those goals. That is all right. All right. Carla, thank you for coming on the show and uh, dropping some GMs today. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Will. I know we've been connected on Twitter, so it's, it's um, exciting to finally get to chat with you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And I hope the wife and I get a chance to, inshallah, visit uh, Boston again. I loved living there for those three years. It was just cold. It was expensive. And I only had a bachelor's degree, so I was a low man on a totem pole. <laughs> and I had, I, had to get some, I had to get some letters behind my name. So I, yeah. had, to, I had to roll out, too. So it was very expensive. Uh, but it was a great uh, city to roll in. Well, we look forward to having you back. Whenever you come back, let me know. I will cook you up some rice and beans in that, in some with some extra um, sauce over it, like you, <laughs> you, you have expressed that you like. That's, <laughs> so, that's all right. happy, so make sure you follow me when you come up. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'm a great cook. So <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. That's all right, people. So I'm gonna close this bad boy out. Throw a little sorry in this joint. <laughs> well, thank you. That's <laughs> yes, all right. So, people, uh, you know how I do this. Uh, this podcast episode will be up on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify. I need you to subscribe. I need you to follow. I need you to leave your comments. I love the stars, but also love the, the reviews and stuff because not only am I trying to be found, but your boy is trying to get Oprah on the show, and I want her to know that I'm doing big things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Carla Montero, for coming on, sharing her experiences and the work that she's doing. And I'd like to thank you again for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show, the mobile university for entrepreneurs. As always, people, invest in you, EDU, peace. Thank you.